we see barman used in Italian predominantly up until really the sort of the late 20s, 30s, when barista takes over. And uh, the connection that is with uh, the world of cocktail, where you have uh, sweetness, you have uh, bitterness, uh, you have uh, spice, you have water, and you can have a sour part. Alcohol is an important, uh, let me say, carrier to educate consumers in, uh, let's say, discovering uh, new flavors and also creating a new consumption occasion. Welcome back to the Fifth Wave podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Coffee Business Magazine, Fifth Wave. With the festive season well underway, we thought now was the perfect time to indulge our minds into the exciting topic of coffee and alcohol. Like coffee, the alcohol sector is deeply storied and steeped in culture and tradition, and synonymous with social occasions and daily lives of consumers across many parts of the world. But what is alcohol's historical connection to coffee, and how do these two beverages coexist seamlessly and symbiotically across so many hospitality settings. We're speaking with Michele Cannone and Mattia Pastore at Lavazza to explore the synergies between espresso and alcohol and the tradition and global influence of the Italian cafe bar. Let's dive into the history of coffee and alcohol by speaking with Professor Jonathan Morris, research professor in modern history at Hertfordshire University and author of Coffee, A Global History. Jonathan is also co-host of the History of Coffee podcast series, which I'd highly recommend you tune into. Welcome, Jonathan. Hi, Jeffrey. Nice to be here again with you. So, Jonathan, I wonder if you could give us a little bit of a historical context on the connection between coffee and alcohol. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a very interesting point, Jeffrey, because actually the whole reason that we start drinking coffee is about that connection, but it's a negative connection. So the first time that we know that coffee is exported is the very first time at which, in effect, coffee moves from Ethiopia to Yemen. And the reason that coffee begins to start being imported into Yemen, and we're talking about the 1450, something like that, is because it's being used by Sufis, the the Sufi sect, in their religious ceremonies. Now, of course, the point about this is if you're uh, an adherent to Islam, then obviously alcohol is a banned drink. But coffee is not. And in fact, when the Sufis started using coffee, there were quite a few attempts to argue that coffee was somehow an intoxicant and there were judgments sent up to you know, various levels of Islamic courts. And they always came back effectively with the same ruling, which is, well, you know, coffee may be a stimulant, but it's not an intoxicant, so it's licit to consume coffee. And because it was licit to consume coffee, that's why the coffee house develops, and it develops as a non-alcoholic public space in which, therefore, any respectable Muslim man, and of course it is men, can go and consume coffee and talk with other people in a social area. So that's the first real time that you've got something that's outside the mosque, outside the private sector. This is a kind of a public space in which you can partake of your coffee and meet with other people. 
And in a way, that's sort of the guiding principle of the early coffee house, even as it goes into Europe. So the big thing for the coffee house as it develops, particularly in the UK, is again that here is this non-alcoholic venue. And whereas up until now, merchants and traders have been doing their business around the outside of pubs and then realizing they've made bad deals under the influence, suddenly, hey, they're making really good deals because they're really pepped up with their coffee and there's no alcohol on the premises. So that relationship that initial relationship with coffee and alcohol is an almost antagonistic one. You know, coffee is positioned as, as the alternative to alcohol. And we'll see that again over the centuries. But we also have the reverse of that, which is that, of course, in the cafes in Europe, we see something else developing where coffee and alcohol begin to go hand in hand. And that's what we see on the continent. There is again, a regulatory reason for that very simply. And that is that in the continent where things are controlled much more by guilds, then what happens is eventually the right to serve coffee is given to uh, the same people who have the right to serve liquors and alcohols. So in France, for example, it becomes the right of that guild to add coffee to their list. So the cafe automatically mixes alcohol service and coffee service, and indeed the other great vice, as it were, which is tobacco. So the cafe in France and in other areas of Western Europe in particular becomes a space in which all of these products can be consumed. And that becomes, of course, the neighborhood space and the model for the neighborhood cafe. And if we kind of move forward into the arrival of the Italian cafe bar, what if you tell us about the history of the Italian coffee bar and its um, connection to coffee and its sort of well-rounded offering. Italy's coffee culture, particularly in regards to the evolution of espresso culture, is obviously a 20th century phenomenon. And the first coffee places serving espresso coffee, and we're talking now the old style, very tall, beautiful, elegant machines that sit on your coffee bar, those big, big steam-powered espresso machines, they usually are installed in what are called American bars in places like, obviously, the Grand Hotels. And this notion of the American bar is a very specific notion. It's a bar in which, instead of having waiter service, instead of things being brought to your table in the cafe style, what you have is a counter a man stood behind the counter making a drink who passes it over to you. And of course, that can work with one of those coffee machines as well, because the whole point of the espresso machine is, you know, you see that coffee brewed in front of you and you hand it straight over. So these cocktail bars, American bars, also become the first venues for serving espresso. Now, that's the original version of an Italian coffee culture. It's quite an elite coffee culture. What changes really is with the arrival of the post-Second World War period in Italy, when you get the change both in espresso technology, but also in the kinds of people who were able to patronize bars and the kind of bars that developed. So the two things going on, and with the arrival of the gadget machine, we have much high-powered brewing. We have the the espresso as we know it today with the sort of the head of crema on top. And from that, then we move to the semi-automatic machines spreading really espresso culture through Italian society from about the 1950s, 1960s. 
The 1950s, 1960s are also the time in which Italy is dramatically changed from essentially still a country which is predominantly agrarian, where most people live in the countryside, to one where most people live in towns and cities. It's a massive immigration within the country from the countryside into the city. Now, with that comes the possibility for many more bars. And we need places for people to socialize. Many of those people who move into the cities are living in very, very small and cramped accommodation. If they're going to meet people to socialize, they're going to do it outside the home. And again, the small neighborhood bar provides the perfect location to do that. And because those bars serve a mixture of coffee and alcohol, they can operate over quite a long day to into evening period. And why do you think this sort of Italian coffee culture has made its way to other markets, for example, the United States and Britain especially? That's a, that's a question I've spent a large part of my professional life answering, but in very short order. One of those reasons is the way that coffee is repositioned as essentially a premium good, that it becomes a time good. It's a sort of a payment for time. So why does that work in the US and the UK around the turn of our century? I think, first of all, yes, to some extent, we have a more affluent society, but also what we want is something that makes it worth our while to spend time in the coffee house. So if you're going to wrap all of my price for sitting in your coffee shop for 20 minutes, 30 minutes into my cup of coffee, then I want a good cup of coffee. I want something that I can see is different from anything I can make at home. And of course, wrapped in my premium price is all the other things that you're offering in the coffee shop, not just the space for sociability, but the way you furnish that space, the kind of services you're offering. What's interesting to me in the context of what we're discussing is my sense is that the early appeal of that format is actually once again, because it's not presented with alcohol. Uh, because those spaces are much safer spaces for those kinds of publics that feel threatened by the norm of alcohol consumption. The British pub was not a place, still probably isn't by and large a place where you want to go in as a single woman or somebody perhaps from a non-drinking minority background, whereas a coffee shop welcomes all of those customers. So that I think one of the appeals of the coffee shop and the reason that it swept through was that it gave that kind of safe public space again, and it organized it, therefore, around coffee as a social drink rather than alcohol. And the word barista means in Italian bartender? So barista is a, is a difficult one here. So I was explaining that the first time that we saw so coffee appearing in Italy, it was usually in these American bars, these cocktail bars. And so actually, because they were American bars, the usual word for the tender at that time was barman. And we see barman used in Italian predominantly up until really the, sort of the late 20s, 30s, when barista takes over. And at least part of the reason for that, although the term had been around before, uh, part of the reason for that is really the kind of the desire to basically purge the language of foreign uh, words. Uh -huh. So barista gives you uh, an Italianized version of barman. What's very interesting is if you then look at the, sort of the 50s, the immediate post-fascist period, barman comes back into fashion. Barista 
now is more widely used. And again, I think that's partly because actually abroad, barista has a better resonance than, of course, barman. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. I really just thought it was just literally barista was the Italian word and uh, we'd, we, we'd taken it on, but actually it's more complicated than that. Yeah, definitely more complicated than that. It's a fascinating uh, sort of piece of kind of, you know, socio-political linguistic history. Well, that's amazing. Thanks for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. It's been a pleasure, Jeffrey. I look forward to talking to you again. It was fascinating to hear from Jonathan that our love affair with coffee actually began as an alternative to alcohol. And through the years, these two beverage cultures have mixed and mingled and influenced one another in different parts of the world. Now let's speak with Michele Canone, Global Brand Director away from home at Lavazza, and Mattia Pastore, Bartender Extraordinaire and Brand Ambassador at Lavazza, who helped to set up the Global Brands Coffee Cocktail Program. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much for your invitation. Michele, I wonder if we could start with a little bit of background on Lavazza, the world's largest Italian coffee brand and um, so much Italian heritage. I wonder if you can give us some background. As you said, Lavazza is the, the biggest Italian coffee brand. We play around the world, almost everywhere, and uh, 40% of our business is generated in a way from home. So, which is a combination of office and food service, let's say, operator. I mean, still an Italian company, of course, but still a family company since 1895. I would define Lavazza probably a real, authentic, uh, let me say, espresso yeah. company, bringing the Italian heritage across the world, leveraging on our, let's say, espresso identity. Obviously, with your out-of-home role, you would be providing coffee to a lot of coffee bars around the world, and many of those might also be serving alcohol. Yes, uh, especially when it comes to espresso. I mean, there is a natural correlation between the two. And uh, alcohol is, uh, in our view, actually is a carrier of pleasure. I mean, it's a way to engage a different target consumer, I would say. It's also to keep the coffee, I would say, very contemporary. Let's talk about the history of the, the Italian coffee bar, which all this espresso culture has come mm. from around the world. I wonder if you'd paint us a picture of the Italian cafe bar for our listeners who may not yet have had the chance or the pleasure of visiting one. And is it the case that virtually every venue that serves coffee will also serve alcohol? Oh, uh, <laughs> good question. I mean, let me go back uh, to our uh, history and tradition. First of all, espresso was created uh, in Italy at the beginning of uh, the former uh, previous century. Uh, the preparation uh, of this ritual started when uh, the first uh, espresso coffee machine was created. That was the starting of this journey. Now, our standing attitude, as you probably know, we drink coffee at the counter. That was a social moment for us. And within this ritual that still exists today, the Italians started to experiment coffee with alcohol by drinking the espresso correcto. What, what would that translate to in English? Correct espresso or espresso corrected? Yes, correct. Yes, definitely. I mean, uh, and what is the espresso corrector? It was. It is a traditional espresso cup in which there is a hint of grappa, red wine, sambuca, 
any alcohol-based preparation that uh, is related to the local culture. I mean, uh, as you know, mm. Italy is long and narrow. <laughs> there is no one Italian food culture, and it is the same for alcohol. And actually, if I can add something, when we're talking about uh, espresso corretto, we talk about the synergy and uh, the connection that is with uh, the world of cocktail, where you have uh, sweetness, you have uh, bitterness, uh, you have uh, spice, you have water, and you can have a sour part. So actually, the only thing that uh, adding in an espresso corretto, some sambuca or another Italian liquor, is for provide a different uh, flavor and sugar, the, the only thing they're missing inside the coffee, because you have already some uh, acidity, some bitterness, and you have also the water, which is one of the important ingredients when you make uh, cocktails, flavor to your coffee. Is espresso corretto still drunk today, or have we moved on to other coffee and alcohol beverages? If we talk about bar, depends mm -hmm. of the kind of bar where you're going. So if you go in a hotel bar, maybe you don't ask for an espresso corretto, but for sure you ask for an espresso martini, which is more... Uh, Uh, let's say yeah. this word a sexy word to say, no? But if you will go in a local bar or on a, on a regular street bar, the espresso corretto is something that is sell uh, quite a lot, still sell a lot. And uh, there is another big connection to the, the way of drink uh, alcohol uh, in Italy during the aperitivo and the way to drink uh, coffee. So thanks for the way to drink uh, coffee in stand-up uh, to the bar. Also, the, the people start to drink the aperitivo on this way. So the traditional uh, cafeteria uh, bistro style where you go to drink a coffee, to relax, uh, take a seat, is all moving to become a stand-up bar. And also the, the, the way to drink aperitivo is a complete change and meet the way to drink a coffee at, uh, at the bar, so stand up. So the experience to have a coffee in a bar changed completely also the way how to drink alcohol uh, in Italy oh, 100 years ago already. Italian coffee bars, the, the historical you know, local bars, I mean, they open early in the morning and they close late at night. Is that still the case? Yeah, definitely, yes. What we are seeing around this concept is that uh, the traditional bar is evolving, but uh, 70% of the business related to coffee ends uh, around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, at least, more or less. It means that for the rest of the day, these bars uh, are modifying their offer, And then, uh, as Mattia was anticipating, uh, they turn their, uh, let's say, their offer into the aperitivo, yeah. let's say, category. I mean, it means that uh, a traditional Italian coffee bar is the better combination of coffee or coffee-based uh, preparation, because we need to, we, we can't forget that the cappuccino mm. is still part of our <laughs> culture. Our Italian breakfast is something that is part of, it's the main proposition for a typical uh, Italian bar, and the second uh, proposition is our Italian, uh, the other it Italian yeah. ritual, so the aperitivo. Great. Well, let's turn to the world of cocktails. Mattia, I wonder if you could tell us about the worldwide trends that you are seeing and the connection to coffee culture. 
So the trends of uh, cocktail coffee is uh, become really popular. If we think that uh, on 2022, the espresso martini was the third cocktail most sell uh, around the world. Not just talking about Italy, but markets like uh, US, uh, where uh, the cocktail is uh, very strong uh, than than Europe, and also in in Asia, uh, is becoming really popular. I think that uh, in the next uh, couple of years, maybe that can become uh, the first uh, most sell uh, cocktail in the world. Yeah. And now is the Negroni, so another uh, Italian pillars of the cocktail uh, industry. But, uh, you know, the, the way of uh, drinking uh, cocktail is uh, really changed. We want to drink something that which is uh, less uh, alcoholic, uh, something that is not too sweet and not too sour. So the espresso is, uh, the espresso martini especially, is make uh, everyone uh, happy. Uh, what is a nice... Uh, attention to make a cocktail with the coffee is the way how you prepare your coffee for the for the mix no so the the bartender becoming really technical to select the right uh, ingredients and uh, use the right uh, uh, technique to mix that but also the research for uh, the right uh, coffee cup uh, to put in the right uh, uh, espresso martini is uh, is becoming really really uh, important because uh, different kind of uh, uh, extraction, different kind of consistency, of taste, of texture also that you can uh, add uh, in your cocktail. And actually, as we say before, in espresso, uh, you don't have just bitter part. No, you have a sourness. Sometimes you have sweetness. You have the flavor of uh, tropical fruit. So you can play around all this flavor and uh, make very different cocktail and not just uh, an espresso martini. You're making me thirsty, I should say. <laughs> now, Michele, could you tell us a little bit about the coffee cocktail program at Lavazza? I uh, think that uh, uh, high cola is an important, uh, let me say, carrier to, I mean, educate consumer in, in uh, let's say, discovering uh, new flavors and also creating a new consumption occasion. I would say that it is an opportunity to rejuvenate the coffee category. And of course, this also is very important for a brand like Lavazza. So we are activating this program within the most important events we have across the world. I mean, such as the London Coffee Festival, Identita Golose, any kind of top gastronomy let's say, event uh, that uh, we organize uh, around the world. Because uh, cocktail, for sure, are a very, very close relationship yeah. with the top gastronomy. And this is another, let's say, contemporary trend. I mean, cocktails are jumping into the top gastronomy world. And this is the perfect platform for also, let's say, boosting the, the coffee role. Coffee and alcohol mm -hmm. program is normally activated there in these events. Are normally offered in any kind of situation in which we want to engage younger consumer. I mean, even in Wimbledon, uh, I say in particular, we have uh, we normally present a set of uh, let's say cocktails that, of course, are coffee-based cocktail that are normally inspired by uh, our collaboration that we have across the world with our ambassador, with our chefs. 
and uh, that is uh, the stage for that kind that kind of let's say preparation and uh, moreover this also give us the opportunity to offer to our guests uh, let's say a, a real contemporary coffee experience across uh, the day well it's yeah I would say dolce vita um, as uh, they yes. say <laughs> wow that's a fantastic summary now in our conversation i have to ask Mattia, what's the secret to preparing the perfect espresso martini? The perfect espresso martini, when we talk about this cocktail, is to have uh, the best espresso inside your cup because uh, the the 60% of the cocktail is an espresso. So if the espresso is good, you can have the perfect espresso martini because uh, then the other ingredients is vodka. And actually, the, the premium is vodka is the vodka without any flavor. So all the flavor that you have in your cocktail is becoming from the main ingredients. So you, have, you need to have the best espresso to do uh, the perfect espresso martini. Then is a lot of technique about uh, the bartender, so the right shake and the right glass, for sure. Excellent. Well, that's a great way to leave it. Thanks, guys, for joining us today on Fifth Wave. Thank you. Thank you. I loved hearing about the rituals and traditions surrounding the Italian espresso corretto and, of course, the aperitivo. And it was interesting to hear that traditional Italian coffee bars are evolving in our modern world. And it's fabulous to see that our favorite cocktail, the espresso martini, is hot on the heels of the infamous Negroni and is close to becoming the world's most popular cocktail. And that's all this week for the Fifth Wave Podcast. However you're celebrating the end of the year, wishing you and your loved ones a safe and joyous holiday season and a happy new year. Please subscribe to the Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this show, please recommend us to a friend or colleague. If you want to stay informed, visit worldcoffeeportal.com to get access to all the latest global coffee news, including the Weekly Coffee Dose, our newsletter collecting all the big coffee news stories of the week. This episode was produced in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Hannah Heath, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. And this week's song in collaboration with the Coffee Music Project is Make Me by LA-based artist Jackson Sage. And until next time, stay safe, stay merry, and stay caffeinated. <laughs>